My fellow Americans, are you tired of the new normal? Are you tired of the lies? Election fraud. You know the thing that the mainstream media and big tech says doesn't exist? It is time to end it. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Many of you are sitting here because you're wanting to know what the plan is. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. The solution has been in front of us all along. Ask God if you should step into the gap and become a part of the plan. The plan is simple. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are the plan. If you're waiting for others to do the work for you, you're going to be waiting a long time. We are Conservative Daily. Welcome back, everybody. It is Monday night, and we are happy to be back with you all. Uh, so we have a, a really cool guest on this evening uh, at the top of the show. Uh, later, we're going to be giving a couple of updates on what's going on in Arizona, some of the things that are coming out with uh, Twitter. There's supposed to be another uh, round two of the Twitter files that are going to be coming out, I believe, tonight. They're going to be having another space on it. So hoping to see the same kind of things uh, come out, and we can learn some more. I know for a lot of us, this isn't anything new, but I think we should all, regardless of where you fall on Elon Musk, we should be grateful because in the public opinion side of things, this is one of the biggest wins that we've had where now it's being confirmed uh, exactly what uh, conservatives were in fact mocked for, uh, censorship of conservatives, censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop of COVID, uh, you know, the vaccine effects, so many of these things that we've been derided and ridiculed as being conspiracy theorists. Now all those people are going to have to make a choice whether they're going to continue down the rabbit hole of uh, absolute insanity or whether they're going to uh, you know, choose to see the reality that has been all too apparent for far too long. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I do want to get to our guest. Uh, his name is Connor Boyack, and I do hope that I said that right. Uh, but... Connor's been doing some amazing work, uh, most notably, uh, or maybe uh, to a lot of you, uh, he's one of the authors, if I believe the author of the Tuttle Twins books, uh, but he is a speaker, a TV show producer, libertarian communicator, entrepreneur. Uh, he's wrought, written 36 books, and, he's, and I've listened to some of his interviews, and he has some really amazing things to say and some really amazing uh, viewpoints on education and on how we frame uh, history for children and how we give them the tools to actually think for themselves, which is one of the things that this establishment, these education systems, which is, have been so co-opted by this deep state, by these people who uh, want, in my opinion, nothing more than subvert, uh, subservient slaves who do nothing but parrot the party line uh, and you know, view the state as God. The, the Marxist ideology that uh, you know, we're told by the mainstream media is the saving grace of our nation. Uh, but he's been doing amazing work, and he's also uh, had amazing success with policy. So I'm really excited to hear about those successes, because I think that's something that's desperately needed in this country, 
is, uh, you know, effective rhetoric, but also, uh, also some effects within our institutions, which is often lacking among conservative uh, spaces. So without any further ado, Connor, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the chat. So give us, uh, I know you're new to this audience. Uh, if you would just give us a, a minute and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you and, you know, maybe where your journey started and all this. So I'm like, uh, I'm what I like to call a full-time freedom fighter. I run a, a nonprofit called Libertas Institute. We're based out of Utah, work all over the country, changing laws at a state and local level, repealing bad laws, passing better ones. We've changed over a hundred laws, about 10 of them are the first of their kind in the whole country. So we're kind of an innovative policy shop, really looking to move the needle forward. We're kind of libertarian-leaning, conservative from the right, so really trying to just shrink the size of the government, let entrepreneurs and families just you know be actually free, like we often like to talk about, at least once a year on the 4th of July anyway. And uh, so we've been doing that for about a decade, and it's a ton of fun, and uh, we've made a lot of impact, but... A large part of what I do beyond that is it's one policy reform feels at times like a putting a bandaid on a gangrenous festering wound. You know, for every step forward you take, you're taking 83 steps back with all the bad policies that are just being pushed on us. And so part of what we do, too, is a lot of education, really trying to help people better understand the ideas of freedom and natural rights and so forth so that as we go change the law, we have kind of the populace there to support what we're doing. And we have people who are willing to help defend those laws rather than see them get you know repealed a few years later when the political tides shift. So part of what we do is kind of political strategy and, and creating campaigns to get laws changed. And the other part is this very kind of broad-based, long-term, family-oriented education to help people better understand the ideas that we're advocating for. Awesome. So, I mean, two big points. First, I I want to talk about that family-based educational approach because I think that's really, really important. Uh, I, I think a lot of people who have been who've been following this or who have woken up to it and started paying attention to what they're doing in schools and a lot of the laws and these backdoor ways and all this money that they're throwing at uh, dictating the curriculum. And uh, I, I mean, it's it's sick just, just to start off. But, you know, I, I want to talk about, about empowerment uh, just to frame this up. I mentioned to the, I mentioned this to you before we got started, but I heard you say this and I think that's a really important concept to have when it relates to education and to remember what that really means, because we'll talk about the radical left, you know, back before all this LGBTQ, whatever they want to call it, this, uh, you know, this new version of empowerment, I guess they would call it. It used to be, okay, well, we want to empower women. We want to empower people to be who they are. And now that's kind of gone by the wayside. They're eating their own in so many ways. And now empowerment seems to be synonymous with you have no real identity. It's just whatever, whatever fits and you're, you're an evil, you're a bigot if you, if you don't agree to the fact that there is no identity. And they've seemed to have, you know, they attack uh, having any kind of Christian curriculum or even talking about it in some cases. There are schools that do that. But really, I don't think they have a problem with religion. I think it just has to be their religion. So they want, instead of people having the choice to look at God, there is a God that is taught in school and it's the state and it's whatever, whatever organization, uh, or whatever ideology they decide is, you know, is, is the flavor of the month. 
so to speak. I don't think you're wrong. I, I might question, though, whether that's a feature or a bug. And what I mean by that is uh, I'll illustrate it with a story. A few months ago, I was speaking at a parents group and there was a mom in the Q&A afterwards who articulated much the same concerns and objections that you just did. And she said, the schools are so broken. And I said, well, hang on. I actually disagree with you. I don't think that they're broken. I think that they are working exactly as intended by the very people who architected them. When you go back in time and look at the Horace Manns and the John Deweys and all these people who were secular humanists, they were atheists, they were socialists, they didn't want uh, American children to be raised in this education system to be critically thinking, entrepreneurial, independent-minded adults. They wanted people who were malleable to subdue them to the social views of the collective. That was literally their goal. And look, I know a ton of amazing people who are teachers and principals and who are in the education system because they want to help kids. The problem is that they're trying to work within an institution for which there is massive inertia. The foundations have long been set. They are very fixed. And it's nigh unto impossible for any one good teacher to try to reform things from within. Most good teachers end up quitting because they get so frustrated with this kind of top-down, left-leaning agenda that's being preserved by the teachers' union. So I, res I respectfully disagreed with that mom. I said, I don't think that the schools are broken. I think they're functioning fairly well according to the designs and the schematics of their original architects. The question for us as parents is whether we agree and, and see as praiseworthy the output from this system, this very degraded, low-quality education that is being produced in, in government schools. We can object all we want, but why are we so surprised when we send our kids to this institution and then we're shocked when it does a bad job when the past many decades are grade A example of exactly how poorly it does at actually educating and instilling with good values uh, today's children? That was really well said, and I 100% agree. I, I don't think that the – well, I, I'll just agree with you. The, the schools are 100% designed to, uh, to manufacture exactly what we're seeing in our youth. Um, so – you know, I, I kind of a roundabout way to arrive back at the question, but, uh, you know, your, uh, you know, family-based education model, what does that look like? Uh, and especially, I think, in the relationship with the family, because uh, I'd like you to articulate that a little bit. Well, my journey started as, as a dad myself. I had two young children at the time when I wondered how I can teach my kids these values that I believe in and was fighting for in my organization that I founded. I turned to Amazon. I, I literally searched for you know children's books that teach about free markets and things like that. Came up short. There was nothing. And I was like, there's stuff for potty training and there's children's books on the birds and the bees and like every topic under the sun. Why is there nothing like this? So teamed up with a buddy of mine, Elijah, who's our illustrator, and we set out to start creating some of these books. This was back in 2014 when we published our first book. Of course, now it's all the rage to have children's literature, whether you're a libertarian or a leftist or anything in between. But at the time, it was unheard of. No one was really doing this um, on kind of the right of center uh, spectrum. And at the time, for years, actually, we thought that we were producing children's books. So these are called the Tuttle Twins, and they take classic books uh, the Road to Serfdom by Hayek, Economics in One Lesson by Hazlitt, uh, The Law by Frederick Bastiat, these super powerful books that have taught classical liberalism and the tradition of the founding fathers for decades or centuries. We take those books, we turn them into 
fun little kids stories and now make those ideas accessible to kids. So for years, we're like, hey, we do these children's books and, you know, come teach your kids. What we instead realized over time was that these aren't just children's books. They're family educational resources. And that's a distinction that matters because over half of the parents who end up getting the Tuttle Twins books tell us that they are learning things for the first time, that they never learned a lot of these ideas in school, right? And so if you were to go to Joe Q Public on the street and say, you know, here's the road to serfdom, this, you know, Nobel Prize winning economist back when they gave the Nobel Prize to free market economists and not the trashy ones today. Here's this (laughs) Nobel Prize winning economist, F.A. Hayek, super smart guy, free market economist. He writes this amazing book about the dangers of socialism and collectivism and how America's on this road to serfdom, kind of a warning manual to say, hey, don't go down this path. You give that book written decades ago to Joe Q. Public on the street and say, you ought to read this. It's really relevant to what's going on today. What's the likelihood that that individual ends up reading that book? I would say it's sub 1%. Instead, if you ask that same person, assuming he has kids, you say, hey, do you think it's important for your kids to understand how the world works, to understand markets and money and to be well-rounded? Oh, absolutely. Do you think the schools are doing a very good job? No, I don't. Do you want a resource that could help you? Oh, absolutely. You give them a Tuttle Twins book, suddenly they're investing not in themselves, but in their kids. They're reading along with their kids. Their defenses are down. It's not about, oh, I'm stupid. I don't know things. That's what I have to read. Instead, it's, hey, I want my kids to learn better. And so what we're doing is we've created a strategy to circumvent that natural resistance that a lot of people have where they are unwilling to admit their ignorance. We instead deflect it onto or redirect it onto their kids and say, well, your kids are, don't know these things. They're naturally ignorant. Do you want to teach them? Should we help you? Yes, please. They sit down with a Tuttle Twins book and over half of the parents are learning new uh, economic and civic and historical ideas that they were never taught. And so, and then it's creating, you know, a, a dynamic where families are on the same page to talk about ideas that matter. What I mean by that is your, your typical example, right? Kid comes home from school, mom says, hey, honey, what did you learn today? What's the response? I don't know, you know, nothing. And so parents and children are on a different wavelength. Now, homeschool corrects for a lot of this, which is why homeschooling is so great. But what about for the other 90% of kids out there that aren't being homeschooled? Suddenly with things like the Tuttle Twins books, the parents and the kids are on the same wavelength again because they're reading these books together. Mom and dad know what the kids are reading. We give them discussion questions at the end. We're really trying to empower family conversations to talk about these ideas and current events and everything. And so we've just seen such a remarkable transition for a lot of these families who weren't really thinking before about like, oh, do I need to talk to my kids about this? Or how do I talk to my kids about this? Now we're empowering them. Now their conversations are elevated. And so it's just been such an amazing journey for us to realize that it's about the whole family. It's about parents and children talking about ideas that matter. And these Tuttle Twins books are a means by which we can facilitate that conversation. And the parents feel so amazing about it because they're having these rich uh, conversations with their kids and what kind of parent wouldn't want that, especially in today's world. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, you're doing guerrilla education. <laughs> it sounds like in many ways. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, uh, something that I've, I've heard a lot from people reading, uh, for instance, Cash Patel's books, uh, as they regard to, uh, you know, some of the things that took place during the, you know, the coup of 2020. And these are, uh, things that are widely, it's widely available information, but, uh, you know, the parents say the exact same thing. And 
I think number one, it speaks to a couple of things. Number one, the fact that, as you mentioned, so many adults uh, out of fear of you know being ignorant because people are robbed for time, they're robbed for money. Uh, the direction of of this nation has encouraged that very, very much. There's less time you know with the children than historically you know ever, I would say, uh, especially with how you know the education system has worked and how the economy has developed. And I think that's been very intentional as well. Uh, but that uh, we talk about Marxists, uh, this ideology, and historically what has been done. Uh, I think what you're doing in that kind of approach, and it's including that guerrilla education style, just just to use that term. I know that's not yours, uh, <laughs> so I won't I won't put those words words in your mouth. But uh, it's it's something that I think is a big fear in a lot of parents' minds, and especially now that some of this curriculum has gotten into the mainstream in a lot of ways because of people who have been covering this. They don't know what their kids are reading. Many of them, I believe, have assumptions. Uh, but, you know, you, you have two things. Number one, they go to these school board meetings. They start hearing about the types of books that they're reading. They start learning about the curriculum. And then they're surprised. And when they challenge it, they're called a bigot or they're told, no, that's a lie. It's not happening when it very much, in fact, is. And then, you know, the homeschooling issue where we've been told for years, including now, you know, homeschooling is going to ruin your kid. It's going to make them weird. It's going to make them socially unacceptable. They're going to, they're going to fail in the real world. And statistically, academically, that's not true. But then you look at the alternative. So what, if I homeschool, my kid is going to be socially awkward. And the alternative is they're going to go to a public school and now they're going to, you know, be told that I'm awful if I don't agree with what they're being taught. And America sucks. You know, Marxism is cool. My gender is whatever I decide. And, I mean, what is the alternative? What what are these parents left with if they don't start building these relationships? Well, the the questions that you're asking are very pertinent. They were the the basis for a group of people to get together and spend 18 months reviewing how things are happening in the schools. They they recently uh, held this uh, kind of convening all across the country. It was called the National Commission on Excellence in Education. They actually had the blessing and, and were kind of commissioned by the Department of Education, trying to figure out like what's going on in the schools. How are they performing? How's the curriculum? Where's the quality at, et cetera? They did a bunch of you know focus groups, listening sessions, went across the country, and they ended up producing a report. I believe it was a 16-page report. And in there, among other things, it said that America's educational foundations are being threatened by a rising tide of mediocrity. And that if a foreign, unfriendly government had attempted to impose on America the very mediocre educational performance that now exists today, we might well have viewed it as an act of war. As it stands, they said, we've allowed this to happen to ourselves. Now, there's a little fib in what I said in sharing this story. This group did not recently convene. This was in 1983 under Ronald Reagan's presidency. Forty years ago, next April, this group spent a year and a half and concluded that at the time, there was a rising tide of mediocrity threatening America itself because of the poor educational performance of that generation. Well, when I share this story in my kind of public speaking events and so forth, I'll ask the audience, raise of hands, anyone here would like to be bold enough to argue or advance their opinion that education today is performing better than it was 40 years ago? And 
I've asked this many times now and literally not a single soul granted, a, you know, biased audiences that I'm mostly speaking to, no doubt, who understand the problem. But no one raises their hand. No one, I think, with any lick of common sense believes that on the whole, education is doing better than it was 40 years ago. So if at the time there was a rising tide of mediocrity threatening America because of the poor educational performance, what words might we use to describe what's happening today? And if they're not good words, if, if we're not grading the schools very well, then either individually as families, what are we doing about it to save and protect and shield our own children? But then more broadly as a society, what are we doing? Are we going to continue to put up with this mediocre institution that's pumping out ignoramus voters who are oppressing us with the power of their vote that's equal to mine, right? If we care about our country, if we care about the future of freedom, we have to solve for this problem where the institution and the ide ideological opponents who hate us the most are the ones who have captured the rising generation. That if we don't solve for that, no number of think tanks and activist organizations and voting campaigns or even, you know, well-intentioned candidates are going to make any different if the mass of the population does not understand our rights, does not understand their importance, and does not understand the threats historically that there have been for those rights, which is the government itself, big government. And so that, that to me is the core problem. That's why even though we have our public policy side and we're out here changing these laws, where I think the real strength and long-term impact of our work is, is investing in the youth, is in focusing on the rising generation, because without that, we're all lost. Well said. Amen. Uh, I, I want to ask you specifically about some of this policy, because I know we haven't gotten to that yet. Um, I just... I just want your thoughts on this because this is the first conversation we've, we've had. A lot of people, and I'm gonna I'm gonna broadly use the term because everyone knows what it is. You know, the conspiracy theorists, the extremists, and all that. Uh, we've had now over the last couple of years, number one, all of this election. You know, uh, all, all of these things that are being discovered, and uh, now the public questioning so many of our institutions and our justice systems. We have this COVID. Uh, you know, this agenda that has been rolled out, everyone in much the same way as many of these other issues has been lied to repeatedly, and it's been targeted a great deal of it on the children. And I, I, I personally think it's really important that people see these holistically, but especially the kids, uh, when we talk about COVID-19, what they did to the children, the targeting of schools. Uh, I mean, we, we don't have to, I know for time, we're not going to get into any of the numbers and, you know, some of the particular uh, ridiculous aspects of it. But to me, it, it's very clearly all synergistic and none of it is disparate whatsoever. Uh, what they've done through COVID and the targeting of children with this propaganda, the little boys that you're going to be a superhero if you just wear your mask, if you, you know, you follow the rules. Uh, it, it's, it's really insidious. And I think it, it's, perfectly reinforcing a lot of the things that they've been learning in school and, and uh, reinforcing the separation between parents and a lot of these personal relationships where they would learn a lot of this morality and they would learn by example, how to be a productive and, uh, you know, and, and righteous person to use those words. But I, I assume that you would, you would say that the same types of intervention and the same type of uh, push in the in the people is necessary to kind of walk that back because there's a lot of damage that's been done. Uh, how how do we start to separate that and, and kind of bring these kids back to uh, back to a lack of fear and back to you know a, a place where they see themselves having a role 
in this society? There's a synonym for conspiracy theorist. It's called a historian, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> anyone who under, and anyone who understands history can see that it's rife with conspiracy and corruption. And remember, we do have an excellent sponsor of the show, and that is Air Medcare Network. So today's podcast is, again, sponsored by Air Medcare Network. And if you live in a rural area that's hard to reach by road, or if you like to hike or spend a lot of time outdoors or do uh, you know dangerous things like some of us like to do that may require some emergency medical attention, we all want to make sure that our family is protected in a medical emergency. Uh, and health insurance will not always cover the cost of an emergency medical flight if, in fact, you do need one. But with Air Medicare Network, you are covered. For as little as $85 a year, not only you, but your entire household will be covered in case you ever need air medical transport. Uh, this is a super, super good deal, very low cost, and it's insurance that if you need it, you do want to make sure that you have it. I know people personally who have had to cover those costs, and believe me, they are very expensive. So simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash daily and use promo code daily. Receive up to a $50 Visa gift card back when you sign up today. That's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and promo code is daily. Go check them out. Who are we to be so deluded that we would think that in our modern society, you know, that that doesn't exist? I mean, Edward Bernays a century ago wrote the book Propaganda. He was the double nephew of Sigmund Freud. He's the father of public relations and propaganda in America. The Nazis literally used his book as a textbook for how to do propaganda, a, a fact that he later said in life he was horrified to learn because he didn't ever intended for it to be used in that application. But he used it for Woodrow Wilson and World War One and all these early corporations trying to manipulate people. And in the book Propaganda, it's a short book, highly recommended for everyone to read. It's over a century old and yet as relevant as ever. He says in there that the conscious and intelligent manipulations of the society constitute the true ruling class, that this is an invisible government, and that they are the true ruling power of society, those who can uh, are these unseen forces that can mold the behaviors and the opinions of the masses. Right. This was long before the Internet and social media and devices and everything else where we are far more easily manipulable and malleable than we ever were before. And so to your question about what we do with our kids, I think the biggest problem that we have is that we as adults have set a horrendous example. Children mimic their parents. They mimic adults. They're learning how to become adults. When they see everyone losing their minds with fear, when they see everyone around them surrendering their freedom in exchange for supposed safety, Right, it, it, they learn far more how we act based on how we act than by what we say. And the problem for us is that our brains are literally wired to be susceptible to this exact problem. And before we move on, today's show is sponsored by Augusta Precious Metals. They help retirement savers use gold IRAs to diversify and hedge against this crazy economy. Augusta is different. They don't push fear and doom like some gold IRA companies. They're all about compliance, transparency, and educating people to protect their retirement. Augusta has thousands of five-star ratings and hundreds of great reviews. Their most famous customer, quarterback Joe Montana, loved the company's mission so much he's now their paid ambassador. Even Money Magazine says Augusta is the best gold IRA company. So don't get into a gold IRA nightmare. Protect your retirement savings with a reliable, transparent company. Get Augusta's free guide from their website. You can go to www.augustapreciousmetals.com. That is A-U-G-U-S-T-A, 
PreciousMetals.com. A company that puts its money where its mouth is. Love it. Get the Augusta Precious Metals free gold IRA guide at www.AugustaPreciousMetals.com and do something now about protecting your retirement. It's called the amygdala hijack. Basically, there's two routes in our brain of processing information. One is kind of the rational side through the neocortex, which takes longer. The other is through the amygdala, the kind of, you know, crocodile brain, the very kind of fight or flight mechanism where you're just reacting. And so when we see these responses, when we see a dangerous virus, when we see all the authorities telling us we're going to die, you know, when we see like something scary happening, or we're told that something scary is happening, we get fearful, we become irrational, and we end up losing our freedom in the process. I wrote a book a number of years ago about this called Feardom, how government exploits your emotions and what you can do to stop them. And uh, the <laughs> the end of the book, I'll just give it away after talking about all these fear-mongering examples in the government, how people have been conditioned into, uh, into surrendering their freedom as a result of being scared. I wrote this long before COVID. It's so sad how relevant that book remains uh, years later after writing it. The end of the book, I basically make the argument in, in Feardom that uh, the opposite of fear is love. And, you know, think of war, right? When you want to get soldiers to kill one another, you have to dehumanize the enemy because they're, they're other humans. They have, they have families. They have parents. They, you know, and so if you want to get a human to kill another human, you have to dehumanize them. That's why the Nazis considered the Jews, called the Jews literally pests. I mean, what they were being gassed with in the chambers was literally pesticide. Right, because they were, uh, you know, fomenting this idea that they were pests, so that the Germans would be, you know, able uh, as a human to do what they did to them. This has happened in every war. It's always, I mean, it's the same thing with Middle Eastern, you know, terrorists and everything. Right? It's always about dehumanizing the other side, so people are more willing to go attack them. And so, what we have to do, I think, is to humanize one another. What we have to realize is that individual who did not shut down their business, it may not be because they want to kill your grandma. Maybe it's because, you know, that's their only livelihood and it's a single mom, right? Or maybe like the kid who isn't wearing a mask isn't an evil person, you know, in school. Uh, maybe there's other reasons there. Maybe they have, you know, reasons I can understand if I talked to them as a human and not treated them as an object to be human, dehumanized so that I can attack them. We need more love, which is kind of a hippy-dippy thing to say, perhaps, but it's like the only way that we solve this because we are in a toxic culture. We're, you know, fleeing to our, our polar opposite ends. We're lobbing grenades at one another. We're never going to come together. We're never going to be a union. You know, I mean, the country's so completely divided. The only thing to solve for this is more love. And we as adults have to set the example. We have to be kinder to people we disagree with. We have to be willing to have conversations with people from who come from different backgrounds and not just consider them as the enemy. And our kids are going to learn because if they see in us the very behaviors that we decry in others, they're going to act like we are and perpetuate the process. I think we as adults have a lot of work to do if we're going to set that example. And I think our society is so far off from where we need to be in this regard that I, I genuinely worry about the future because, you know, this is the type of stuff that leads to civil war. And if we don't uh, really be intentional about how to stop it, I, I fear that we're headed in that direction. I 100% agree. And, you know, the yeah, I think I think it was Jordan Peterson who was talking about the Nazis and what happened in Nazi Germany and the fact that everyone has, a, you know, they have a little bit of Hitler in them. And, you know, people will question that. And he has been questioned on that. And he, he, he just responds, really? I mean, how did that how did that occur? This uh, insanity or whatever we want to call this tyranny, et cetera, fascism. Insane, it doesn't matter what 
label you use for it, I, I do believe that in many ways this has only gotten to the place that it is, and it's uh, it's still continuing now because of you know the base layer, the the people. It's not, I don't think, in reality, so top down as we think it is because without the majority of the people going along and being willing to either stay silent or being so uncomfortable that they don't feel like it's worth it to challenge people on some of these ideas and have open debates, which can't be censored uh, in the real world without people actually using force and throwing you in jail or, you know, knocking you off like has been done in the past as well. But that is, I think, the critical factor because everyone has to be willing to repeat the big lie in, in order for it to progress so far and then get to the level where it's, it's indoctrinating the kids separately from their parents, you know, structurally. And uh, so my, my last question on this point, I believe, and we talk a lot about the show on the men, and the men in society, because I believe very, very strongly that a majority of the uh, targeting that's been uh, that's been thrown at our children, and as well as adults, through mainstream media, through all these sneaky ways they put it on TV shows and everything that they frame up, the conversations around masculinity, people saying that testosterone is a poison and men are the problem, et cetera. I really do believe that it's meant to break down the will of men and to condition out of them uh, through social pressure the characteristics that uh, you know that men would typically demonstrate, and those are the things that I think in many ways are the behavioral backbone of our society. And if you just looked at a base level, you take away the first world. Uh, when a population historically gets mad enough, they get pissed off, and they they know that they're they've been robbed and lied to and cheated and they don't have any options, everyone's stealing from them, there would be a revolt. There would be some kind of revolution. And mm -hmm. these social pressures seem to be directly targeting, uh, and even peacefully, I don't mean you know a crazy violent revolution. I just mean men being willing to stand up and say, enough, stop, take a step back, get away from our children. We, want, we have things that we, we hold dear in this life, and you've gone too far. There seems to be a lack of, uh, of unification there. I, I agree with what you're saying, and I might add a little layer on top of it. I, I I totally agree. If you, especially if you look at media, how the the husbands in TV shows and movies are always treated as bumbling idiots. You know, they're basically another child for mom to take care of. And I, I think this is very intentional. But I, I try and think like, well, what's the ultimate goal, right? Is it just to attack men? Is it just to weaken men? But why? Why do that? And and if I were to kind of throw another layer on top of it, I think it's that they're is a desire to infantilize, infantilize, infanticize, uh, to, 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 um, to basically treat us all as children, right. To, uh, to dumb down the curriculum. So, you know, if you like go Google an eighth grade test from the 1800s, it's, it's insanely difficult, right? Like our curriculum is being dumbed down. We call, uh, there's the term adulting now, like we've never had that word before. Like <laughs> suddenly actually being an adult is like a hard thing to do. Kids are staying in the basement longer than ever. I think the victimhood that we have, cause think about it, right? The men, they're the dads. They're always the one being like, you know, yeah, fine. You scraped your knee, get up, shake it off and move on. Right. It's the moms who are the nurturers and they're the compassionate ones. But the dad's role is to say, suck it up and be a man. Right. And so when you lose that, you have this kind of, um, like 
uh, I don't know. It's like the opposite of this paternalistic society where everyone has been coddled and, and not isn't sucking it up and they're not standing up and they're not working hard. You know, we have this whole anti-work movement now. Like you look on Reddit, there's a subreddit <laughs> called anti-work and it's literally people who just, you know, bitch and moan all the time about having to go to work. You remember that viral video from the kid in Starbucks a few weeks ago who was complaining oh, yeah. about how so many people and he was having this mental breakdown because he just couldn't handle the constant customers. It's that to me is how you destroy a society. That to me is a great example. When when people are so childlike, they are dependent. When they can't be when they can't take care of themselves, they must rely on others. And what does the state want? I, I have a new book coming out in a few weeks called Children of the Collective. And it makes the whole point is that throughout society, collectivists have gone after the kids. Why? Because in order to grow the state, you have to destroy the family. You have to weaken the bonds between neighbors and community and families so that everyone has a relationship directly with the state. And so then I talk in the book about, well, how here's how it's happening today as well, and here's what you can do to stop it. And the whole point is that that is what the state wants. The state thrives when we are all childlike dependents upon it for all of our cares and comfort from cradle to grave, right? Only by strengthening families and interpersonal bonds, what Alexis de Tocqueville called mediating institutions, right? Voluntary institutions in society, people coming together. Only through that social fabric is the state going to be weakened. We can go pass all the laws we want. We can go lobby and litigate in the courtroom and, you know, complain on Fox News or on social media, right? But unless and until we strengthen society and the social fabric, the state is going to continue to grow because you have all these atomized individuals out there who are dependent upon the government to thrive in their own life as childlike as they may be. That to me is why men are being attacked is because by depriving men of the ability and the opportunity to go in and tell their children and tell the rising generation to suck it up and you know act like adults, they're not going to be like adults. And so the state is going to thrive in the absence of that. Absolutely. I mean, you think about the founding fathers, you know, a couple of them when they signed it, 18, 19 years old. Now we have men who are 30 and 40. Uh, they're not even living with their parents like you know many European countries do because that's just you know culturally what you do. You take care of your, your parents as you grow up, but then the whole family stays together. Uh, they, they don't have any, any sense of, uh, of independence in the world. And it, it's really, really sad to see. So... I think it's it a is. long it's a long process to fix that, but uh, I know I know we've kept you over a little bit. I want to give you uh, one minute. Do you have three four minutes, or do you have to? Jet I out? do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so I, I want to go back because I know we, I could talk to you uh, at quite some length, but uh, about the the policies, uh, I, I want you to talk a little bit about that because right now what we've seen, we have, and I'm going to hit a few topics, and uh, you don't have to address any of them. Uh, directly because I, I don't want to speak outside of the work that you do. But I mean, just with the elections that have been going on, you have Arizona, you have all these places where things are being certified fraudulently. Uh, and this just, you know, is typified all the way up to the federal level. We have all these systems that are supposed to work. We pass all these policies and then you have these foundations and these Soros DAs, all these projects that have been pouring money in and, you know, just installing fake legs in all the tables that are supposed to be the stop gaps. There's supposed to be some layer of accountability and it goes all the way down to the school districts and all the way up. Now we see to the department of justice. Uh, how do people in your view, how do we start to hold these people accountable 
and do so quickly, especially as people continue to see that every step up the ladder, uh, these systems and these supposed checks and balances continue to fail us. This episode of Conservative Daily is brought to you by DCF Guns. They're not just a supporter and a partner of the show. They're an organization that is on the front line of promoting safe and responsible gun ownership. Along with being a staunch defender of the Second Amendment, they have a lot of different things inside of their three ranges and stores. So they have a gunsmith at every location. They have the ability to do massive amounts of training, uh, anything from beginners all the way up to uh, competitive shooting. Um, they're also the best gun store in Colorado. Uh, between a mar- massive arsenal of top-tier firearms, competitive pricing on ammunition, they're a go-to resource for newcomers and expert shooters alike. Memberships there start for as little as $25 a month and offer an arsenal of benefits beyond that, such as store-wide discounts and special access to training. Even better, what you're seeing right now is DCF Guns also has an e-commerce option, meaning you can take advantage of the awesome prices without leaving your home. Just visit dcfguns.co and start browsing. I do want to tell you that as a listener of conservative-daily.com, you get an additional 5% off everything in the store. You have to use discount code Joe. That's J-O-E. That's discount code Joe. Go to dcfguns.co and use discount code Joe. J-O-E. That's me. Or it's coffee, cup of Joe. Um, But you can go there and save an additional 5% off every single thing on the site. Um, As always, we'll keep the range hot and the deals hotter only at DCF Guns in Castle Rock and Colorado Springs and now online available to everyone across the entire country. It's a great question. I mean, any system is only as strong as its weakest link, obviously. And, you know, James Madison, I think of how he called the Constitution a parchment barrier. Right. Here's this guy that's so influential in creating this thing. And yet he himself is calling it a parchment barrier. Why? Why? Because ultimately it's a piece of paper ultimately systems are just words on a piece of paper they have to be enforced by the people who are there in you know in office and ultimately we have to be the ones kind of pressuring them to kind of keep things up thomas jefferson called for chaining down elected officials with the constitution chain them down he said with the constitution the point being that it's up to us i i support policy reform in the legislature i support you know, litigation in the courtroom, we do all those things. But again, they're band-aids over a gangrenous wound. If the public is not there, if there isn't this kind of broad-based understanding about these ideas, if you don't have, you know, activist groups and civic groups and others pressuring politicians to act honestly and in good faith and uphold the law and all these things, they're going to be far more persuaded uh, by, you know, whoever's donating to them or, you know, whoever helped get them elected. Right. Ultimately, politicians operate based in a climate of fear. They, they worry about reelection. They worry about how they're going to look. They worry about if someone's going to donate to them. And the problem for too long is that we freedom lovers have just been disorganized and apathetic when it comes to holding elected officials feet to the fire. We assume the best. We we vote. We got our sticker. Yeah, I voted. I can now go back to sleep. See in two years for the midterms. Right. And, and we don't realize a lot of us that this is a daily battle. And especially like there are institutional uh, forces that like I'll give you a very specific example Uh, here in in our state. We go up to the legislature and we'll work on a bill that has to do with privacy. We're we're doing one right now. For example, remember January 6th, the whole capital thing that all the left continues to complain about. Well, how did how did the DOJ go after all the people who were there? 
they they literally went to Verizon and Google. They drew a map around the Capitol. They handed it to Verizon and Google. It's called a geofence, right? Mm-hmm. They said, here's kind of the area. And they said, tell us everyone who was there. And they got from these tech companies a historical surveillance about things in the past, not real-time surveillance, not tracking where you are. It's being able to look back for years and say, we want to know everyone who happened to be in this location. They got the data. They went on their manhunt, threw a bunch of people in prison, all as a result of this surveillance. So our think tank is like, whoa, this is a big problem. These new, they're called geofence warrants where unlike the fourth amendment, which says, Hey, you need to have probable cause. You need to have particularity, meaning a particular place or person to be searched. You got to have a suspect with these geofences. They don't have a suspect. They're just drawing a boundary and saying, tell us everyone who's within, within that boundary. And so we step forward and we come up with a model policy and we're going to negotiate with the attorney general's office. And the problem that we run into now coming full circle is that we are advocating against all of our taxpayer supported interests. I sat in a room with, you know, attorney generals, uh, attorneys, sheriffs, uh, police chiefs, state prosecutors, all these people who are being supported with taxpayer dollars. And they're all fighting me and my team trying to oppose what we're doing. They're trying to preserve the ability for law enforcement to just surveil people. They, they resist what we're trying to do. So here I am advocating against my own taxpayer dollars, which are required to go support them. And yet all they're doing is going and asking for more taxpayer dollars and less privacy and more government power and everything else. So the problem we face is that this is happening every day. And if we freedom lovers go to sleep after voting or we think that, you know, oh, he's a good person, like, you got to recognize that even good people are going to be bombarded by these institutional forces that are going to try and pull them in every other direction. And they need our daily support. They need watchdog groups and activist groups. They're constant as a presence to be organized, to hold their feet to the fire, to be a counterbalance against. I mean, I can't tell you how many times elected officials have literally come to me and said, will you please speak out on this bill because I want to vote with you, but this other group is so vocal in my community that I'm really worried that I'm going to have to, you know, just to save my bacon or whatever. I, they literally asked me to wow. take positions on bills just to give them cover so that they can vote their conscience, right? This is not an anomaly in our state. It happens all over the place. So it's a daily battle. Wow. We've been asleep for far too long. And if we actually care about, you know, our country and our freedoms, like it has to be a daily struggle. We have to be way better organized. We need groups like us times 10,000 out there doing this because, uh, We've been playing defense for far too long. I'm sick of it. I want to play offense. Yeah, I mean, I would like to watch the World Cup and, you know, be able to <laughs> to enjoy some of these things. But, you know, it feels like every day you, what the expression, you know, you go to sleep on a tightrope, you know, yeah. it feels good, but it's not going to end well. That's how I feel pretty much every day for the last few years, because there's just so many things happening so quickly, very much in line with the types of things that you're saying. I I hope that as for instance, Twitter has just, you know, started revealing some of the inner workings that, you know, have been hidden and lied about repeatedly, that as the federal government, I think what you mentioned, this public-private partnership, like what they did with Verizon, uh, that that was a, you know, of course, a geofence war, but we're seeing these these really insidious partnerships that have become, you know, pretty modus operandi for our entire uh, system of what we call America, what we still like to call America. Uh, I wonder sometimes, and in fact, pretty strongly at this point, we're seeing Brazil, they're having these massive demonstrations of people peacefully standing up and saying enough. 
we demand some accountability. We've seen the same things in Italy and in so many other countries regarding some of these lockdowns. China is, in fact, rising up. I'll just ask you a really, really straightforward question. Do you think that we will get the kind of accountability that we need if people in America do not peacefully assemble and say we've had enough? Uh, you elected officials, it's time for you to you know, start respecting the will of the people. Uh, I think the short answer is no. And the secondary answer and what worries me the most is I don't think we're a people who peacefully assembles. I mean, the trucker protest a few months back was kind of the closest we've come, the trucker convoy. But we've been so conditioned for generations to think that voting is our civic duty, to think that the ballot box is how we actually get reform. Right. We're not a people that protests very much. If anything, a lot of us on the right kind of consider that to be a leftist type of thing. Uh, so I, I worry that without widespread opposition like that, we're not going to have the reform that we need. And thus, I worry that I don't think we're a country, a culture that is really going to be organizing to that degree anytime soon. Instead, we're bribed with our own money. Here's a $1,400 stimulus check. Stay at home, watch Netflix, order things on e-commerce, you know, boost Amazon's shares, destroy the mom and pop shop. You know, like it, it's we, we've been conditioned uh, into, uh, you know, deep slumber in the matrix. And and I'm, I'm by nature a pretty optimistic person. I, I think, you know, technology and all kinds of different things are actually going to liberate humanity and create a lot of opportunity. But I think it's going to be a really hard road ahead. And I, I waffle between thinking, am I a pessimistic optimist or am I an optimistic <laughs> pessimist? And I, I don't know. It, it, it changes depending on the day. Uh, but I, I think we have hard times ahead. And especially, I think, those of us on the right, we've taken a lot of things for granted um, and we're going to have a rude awakening. We got to go through a lot of, you know, bad before we get to more of the good. And so, uh, my, my whole goal, I, I think both with our policy, but also with these Tuttle twins books is I feel like we're on the Titanic. I feel like we're about to hit the iceberg. The course is fixed. We can't really deviate anymore. I feel like my whole, uh, work boils down to just getting as many families on the, the lifeboats as possible, right? Where you can kind of you know, drive more nimbly around the iceberg and flee to safety. Like, I feel like I'm saying, wake up to as many people as possible to say, prepare yourselves, you know, financially, physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, like prepare for some hard times because, you know, we've, we've been, we've built this massive house of cards with the federal reserve and inflation and easy interest rates. And just, there's a lot that's going to come crashing down. could be next month, could be 10 years from now. I don't know. But, um, but I think we've got to prepare and I think we've got to have conversations with our kids. And that's my whole motive with the Tuttle Twins is really just to empower those family conversations, help those families wake up, get them over to the life rafts, help get them ready so that we can all weather the important uh, storm of, of cloudy weather that I think is on the horizon. Cloudy weather. Yeah, well said. I, and I truly <laughs> I do hope that's uh, that's about all we see. Uh, it, it, it's terrifying a little bit to me that people are have watched now realistically millions be killed and very likely will die over the next few years just from COVID alone and all these these injections that they've allowed to continue to be rolled out. But I, I hope that we we hit the you know that breaking point soon. I, I think we will. But I hope so too. We'll see. Uh, I'll give you the final word. I really appreciate you staying on this long, uh, Connor. So I know there's a few websites that they can find you. Uh, I'll put these up real quick. I know you have your website. Uh, this is where you can get the Tuttle Twins books, TuttleTwins.com. You have uh, yep. libertas.org, uh, which is your yep. uh, your organization. And then 
connorboyack.com that they can learn a lot about you. Uh, but I'll give you the final word. And then if there's anywhere, uh, anywhere else that they can find you or uh, if you have a you know, call to action as you sign off. We're all uh, over social media, so uh, you can find me or Libertus or Tuttle Twins on your favorite social media platforms. But the final word I'll say is a fourth website. It's uh, spn.org. This stands for State Policy Network. And why I'm sharing this is because this is like, like Libertus Institute, we're in Utah. There are groups like us in every state. And so you go here, you click on directory up at the top. And you'll be able to select your state and find the groups that are working in your backyard, right? These are the think tanks. These are the the day-to-day people who are there at the Capitol. They're in the trenches. They're holding events. They've got a mailing list. You can donate to them if you want. But these are the freedom fighters. Now, look, some groups are better than others. I'm not necessarily endorsing them all as being amazing. But find out who's in your backyard. If you're civically minded, if you love freedom, at least get on their email list. Follow them on social media. They're going to do events. They'll have an upcoming legislative session where maybe you can get involved. Uh, I've recommended this strategy over the the various years, and it's been very helpful for a lot of people who don't even realize that these groups exist in their state. Everyone's so fixated on the federal level where they can impact things the least. If instead you shifted some or all of your attention and civic engagement to the state and local level, you could actually get some things done. You could actually contribute and make a difference. It's not that hard. I'm a web developer. Like 10, 11 years ago before I started this, I literally built websites all day. I'm not an economist. I'm not an attorney. I did horrible at English in school, right? And so I figured out how to actually do this. I'm not a, you know, necessarily a bright person. I don't have this formal background, but I've done it and I've grown an organization and we have all these other people helping now. So you can do it too. Go to spn.org, find the group in your backyard, connect with them. And, you know, time to get off Facebook, time to get off the phone, get off your couch, Go connect with them. Let's make a difference together. Amen. Well, that's awesome, Connor. I really appreciate it. Uh, everyone, uh, those, these links are in the description. I will add spn.org. Uh, but, Connor, I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, so I'd love to have you back to yeah, talk me. more about this. Yeah. Truly, Sounds uh, great. God bless you and all the work that you're doing. Thank you. See you, Connor. Uh, whoops, she's still there. Sorry. Um. Wow, what a Connor's super super sharp, and uh, I really enjoyed how how calm and uh, methodical he lays out a lot of that. And I'm also glad that he agrees that we are going to need some kind of uh, some kind of gathering of people who are willing to actually stand up and peacefully assemble. I think all of these institutions is I'm sure you know this audience you aren't new to that concept, but we have. A lot of work to do. And if we just continue to be reliant, something that we talked about a lot last week, uh, we talked about it a lot with Todd Wood, uh, this reliance on the government and on our sheriffs and all these people who we view as somehow above us. And yet we're unwilling to fix the problem ourselves. I don't think we're going to get out of this mess. So I'll say again, people of Arizona, uh, we need to support them. I know we're going to have some updates. There are people, they have uh, affidavits that are going to be uh, that will be able to be signed. They've had people there all this weekend, I believe, but there are still people there. I know the media is not talking about it. So if you are still in Arizona, get there and show up. They just certified an election today. Uh, I know that now that that has happened, they can start uh, They can start some of these legal challenges, but I don't care what they say. None of this should have been certified in the first place. Absolutely none of it. 
So I think we need to wake up a little bit. Please support the people in Arizona. And I don't care where you are. We have some massive issues going on now. We have a recount in Colorado where, again, uh, what's her name? The, you know, the witch, Jenna Griswold, is going to be disregarding law again. They're going to be conducting a sham uh, recount, just like everything from the last few years has been a sham. Uh, but we need to stand up. So I'm going to say it again right now. We need to be organizing and willing to assemble peacefully, but masses, massively, massively gathering people and talking to people every single day. I've talked several times about you just go talk to two people, call two people, go to two of your neighbors, do that every single day. There will be in two weeks, millions of people. If everyone did that, you can start with one person. And if you just talk to two people and say, hey, are you in? Are you tired of this? Will you stand up with me? And they say yes. You say, okay, cool. Glad you're here. We'll meet up on this date. Your job now. Every day, just go find two more people who are tired of it and are willing to stand in the gap. That turns into millions of people in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so we, we are quite literally at any moment, maybe 14 days away from something even bigger than what's happening in Brazil. Way bigger. But it takes us actually being, being willing to you know, put, our, put our boots on and do the, the peaceful patriot stuff. Uh, but I want to talk real quickly about, uh, let's talk about Elon Musk and a couple things before we sign off. Number one, uh, talking about Arizona, Hobbs, Katie Hobbs. So this is our facts blast today, but some really important information that's coming out. Uh, and this uh, screenshot from Kerry Lake's War Room. So using an official government position to interfere in an election, isn't that a felony? The racist Hobbs should be disqualified and prosecuted. Yes. How very simple to see and understand if you have eyes to see and they are open. Uh, so, attention Congress. I'm just going to start right with attention Congress. The Twitter files. Remember the things that are now being attacked by, uh, <laughs> by the people who it points out, by these mainstream media idiots, these fools, uh, who are still somehow completely uninterested in unbelievable and depraved corruption at the federal level, uh, but also constitutional crisis-worthy uh, releases that have now finally, several years later, been confirmed. You know, the things that we were being called uh, crazy for, for not only the last two years, but well before that, as they were banning things about COVID, as they were, you know, suspending people during Trump's administration. The Twitter files are revealing much about the level of coordination between Biden campaign and then Biden White House collaborating with Twitter to silence their political opponents and any critical content in the run up to the 2020 election. I feel shocked. Do you guys? Between the Biden laptop and the Pfizer files, you have more than enough evidence to impeach, something we've all known already. Maybe with this house, we'll actually see some of that. Still, the more explosive revelations about election meddling are coming out about the most local levels. And here's where it gets important, you guys, with election officials such as Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs censoring political opponents to tip the electoral scale. Is your position that this is a coincidence? Uniparty elected officials at the federal level appear to have set a standard, and people like Carrie Hobbs or Katie Hobbs seem to have followed suit. Is, a co is it a coincidence this standard of conduct has the express intent of misleading the American voters during a contentious election cycle? Coincidence or playbook? 
The most obvious answer is usually the correct one, isn't it? As the people's representatives, you, our Congress, have a duty and responsibility to do the work of the people. You swore an oath. Do you think it's okay to violate it because you really, really don't want to lose? Can you even concede? Can, can you even conceive of the magnitude of that violation? Our demand is simple. Use every power of your office to find and expose the truth about this overwhelming government corruption and collaboration to steal elections and violate Americans' natural rights. Remember your oath. Pretty simple. Let's show you a leaked email. So let me pull this down. I can't even see it. All right. So I want you to pay attention to what is on screen. If you're on audio, I will narrate a little bit to you. An email sent from someone at Twitter. This is redacted at Twitter. Uh, January 7th, 2021. Imagine that. Two misinformation reports. So this is to CI Security, misinformationreports.org. At cisa.dhs.gov. Gov at twitter.com. Subject, election-related misinformation. Man, wouldn't it be nice if we could just determine misinformation? I hope that under Elon Musk that might continue towards that that possibility. But thank you, Redacted. Both tweets have been removed from the service. Thank you, Redacted. Uh, January 7th at 3.53. So keep in mind, uh, this first one was at like 11. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's a reply. So we have, thank you, Redacted. We will escalate. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so this is in reply to Twitter. Please see this report below from the Arizona Secretary of State Office. Please let me know if you have any questions. CC redacted. I'm not sure the best contact email to send this to at Twitter. Thanks, redacted. And this is from ArizonaSOS.gov, sent to misinformation reports. <laughs> uh, CCAZSOS.gov. To redacted emails at azsos.gov. Hello, I'm blank, communications director for the office of the Arizona, Arizona Secretary of State. Email redacted. I'm flagging this Twitter account for your review at redacted. So let me show you who we're talking about. C. Murphy Hebert, Hebert, director of communications at Arizona Secretary of State. So she sent an email. Thursday, January 7th, saying hello. I am this communications director for the office of the SOS. I'm flagging this Twitter account for, rev for your review. That's it for part one of this episode of Conservative Daily Podcast. Part two is coming up next, and you don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. God bless America.